Loads and loads of your uh, of your texts and tweets. Thank you so much uh, for all of those, and we will do more later. But uh, right now, it's high time we uh, crossed to uh, Mexico, and our very good friend uh, John Bonfilio is there to bring us up to date with what's happening in Latin America. Uh, John, very good evening to you. Hey, Martin, how are you? I'm fine. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good, good, good. Now, the uh, big story from Latin America is uh, Jair Bolsonaro, a bit, you know, the, the not altogether popular president of Brazil, I know not with you, John, uh, has been bitten by a giant bird at his uh, palace, quarantine uh, because of coronavirus. Yeah, bitten by a thing called a rhea, which I'd never heard of before this incident, uh, which, is, which has achieved global... Uh, recognition. A rias <laughs> is, is a, somewhere between an ostrich and an emu. And Bolsonaro, um, I mean, look, you know, obviously the whole Brazil situation is, is horrendous in terms of coronavirus reached mm. 2 million, you know, confirmed cases, um, 75,000 dead, etc. So everybody's looking for a little bit of light relief and ideally at the mercy, you know, the expense of Jair Bolsonaro. And he's been cooped up at his official residence in, in Brasilia getting very frustrated by not being able to step outside and, and get on with things. And one of his daily distractions has been to go out and feed these resident you know, huge birds. And then there's this hilarious footage of him going out and trying to feed them the other day. And one of them takes a strong disliking to him and starts to have a, a real go at him. And obviously, you know, not just the the thing itself, but you can imagine, you know, the, the, the social media reaction and the memes mm. doing the rounds in Brazil and across Latin America in terms of the resistance. Um, we are all the resistance <laughs> and everyone being on the side of the emu, et, et, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of strange that, uh, an emu like bird biting, um, uh, Joe Bolsonaro or pecking him repeatedly has become one of the main news stories of the week here. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me. And also, it's always lovely to see an old, um, an old expression, an old uh, phrase, like biting the hand that feeds you, quite literally happening. There he was, you know, there's a bit the hand that was feeding him. Um, now, uh, llamas. This, I, I'm sure I saw this story before somewhere. Um, because, you know, we're all trying to find uh, a, a vaccine for uh, coronavirus. And the key might be the llama, which is, is that's a resident animal in Latin. That's an animal that exists in Latin America, isn't it, I think? It is. It's it, continuing the slightly surreal tone of this, um, of this <laughs> harmless but reassuring background noise that we're engaged in, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I think ago we spoke about the um, the llamas, which is a kind of camelid, predominantly from the Andean um, area of South America, in in Belgium that was actually um, cited to, you know, has been undergoing tests because of its antibodies in terms of fighting SARS and MERS since about 2015. But the llama that we're uh, that is relevant tonight is a llama that is uh, grazing happily on the on the green fields of Reading uh, yeah. at the Rosalind Franklin Institute that apparently there's been a breakthrough, not towards a vaccine, but towards a kind of an immune therapy because llama antibodies, they have a particular kind of small right. antibody called a nanobody, which is very versatile and can apparently fit into lots of different uh, kind of contexts. Um, and so this nanobody that they've been working on with Fifi, the, the llama in, in Reading, um, can neutralize one of the, the proteins in in coronavirus and completely taken out. So basically it's worked brilliantly in a Petri dish. What could possibly go wrong now across the next stages of, of development? Uh, it's cited for uh, for human testing now over the course of the next couple of months. And, and of course, 
um, I'm sure now we're going to, well, not just in the future, but we're already at a point in time where everybody is looking at the 250 different kinds of potential uh, cures or mitigations for coronavirus globally, including obviously the, the Russian Secret Service. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That was a, a major story this week. Now, um, Ronaldinho, this uh, never-ending uh, saga, you very kindly sent me a link to El Periodico, which is not a paper I read on a regular basis, but the headline there is, Ronaldinho cumple cuatro meses de prisión uh, en un hotel de Paraguay. Um, which, uh, again, my Spanish is, <laughs> is, you know, it's uno biro. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not excellent. I have to say, um, Spanish, one of the many foreign languages that I don't speak. So, um, translate for me. What's, uh, what's happening with Ronaldinho? So our dear friend Ronnie, who you and I have spoken about before, is now doing, is now done four months in his golden jail, the Palmaroga Hotel in Asuncion in, in Paraguay. He crossed illegally um, into Paraguay a while ago with his brother using false papers, got picked up, got arrested, uh, got put in jail, and then, uh, you know, lots of now heavily um, heavily shared and viral images and yeah. video of him playing football with all the, you know, with all the, the guys in the nick. But obviously coronavirus comes along, and so it means that you know, amongst uh, a lot of other closed um, sealed internal environments. Prisons are a hotbed for the uh, for the spread of coronavirus. So a lot of people are, are, are put on on kind of day release or on bond, etc. And Ronaldinho is a, is allowed out uh, on a what's called a fianza, a bond there, but he's not allowed to leave the country. He keeps asking to leave the country on various kind of trumped up, uh, you know, spurious reasons why he wants to go home. Not surprisingly, the judge thinks he'll never go back, so they're not letting him leave the country. So he's done four months now at this uh, one of. Um, Paraguay's most luxurious hotels, and there aren't that many uh, in the centre of Asuncion. Apparently nobody else there. They've got a whole floor. It's him, uh, his brother, uh, his lawyer, and an assistant that have been holed up there for, for a period. And, and who knows how long it's going to go on for, because, you know, in an ordinary um, kind of legal season in Paraguay and Latin America, these things have a capacity to take not just months, but often years. But in a context in which coronavirus is slowing everything down i mean it could just go on and on and on and ronaldinho uh, is is basically you know slated to be there for the foreseeable future luckily the place has a gym apparently has it? Oh, good. Well, he's keeping me fit. That's, that's very good news. Now, you very kindly uh, offered, uh, John, to keep us up to date with some of the, or give us a bit of uh, information about some of the sports that are popular in uh, Latin America. <laughs> and I was, I was sort of explaining, but, oh, hello, is that your, uh, uh, do we have a problem there? Is that your, your animal, or is that yourself just coughing and sneezing? Yeah, no, that's We have a coughing bit. Martin, sorry. I'm back. Oh, oh. I know. Look after yourself, John. We need you. We need you here on a, <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Um, yeah, you were going to explain to us uh, the appeal of Pelota. Some of us will have seen this, especially in the Basque Country. If you know, if we've been on holiday uh, to Spain, um, hugely popular. People playing it all over the place in the Basque Country. It's also popular in in Latin America, various Latin American countries, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different kind of pelota. So you, you're right. You've got the Basque um, pelota, but you've also got a, a traditional kind of Mesoamerican ball game called Pelota, which is essentially a family of related ball games, which was kind of pre-Columbian, 
and was related to kind of sacrifice and ritual events. Essentially, it took place and continues to take place in indigenous communities where there's a kind of a, a variant that, that exists now in a kind of a long corridor, different sizes, but essentially a kind of four by one ratio where it's longer along the sides and shorter along the end. And you've essentially got to get this, this rubber ball solid rubber ball across the end line um, and there's kind of you know figurines and, and murals um, and there's various courts in different you know famous archaeological sites that have been disinterred and stuff which have given us the evidence that essentially um, the ball had to be got over an, an end line by each team of five players but that um, but that these events were essentially a, a form of almost like conflict resolution I mm. guess so instead of you know, two communities going to war, they'd take it out on the, they'd take it to the, to the ball court. And in lots of murals, um, in some of the more famous, uh, archaeological sites, there's, you know, accompanied is ritual sacrifice. For a long time, in fact, it was thought that the losers were the ones who were sacrificed. But then, um, it was posited that potentially the winners being the, the you know, the successful ones to emerge victorious were the ones that were allowed into into the afterlife, into a kind of nirvana, and that they were the ones, the ones potentially that were yeah. that were sacrificed. Um, and yeah, linked to indigenous communities that still undertake it, but it, you know, it doesn't sound particularly violent. But if you if you watch videos of it um, taking place, it's a solid ball, and people are throwing themselves about. Ordinarily, you can only hit the ball with your hip, so you've got to generate, uh, you know, physically a lot of momentum in order to get the ball moving anyway. So you've got these these big individuals throwing themselves around the place and people regularly emerge with um, uh, busted ribs, black mm. eyes, uh, all the rest of it. Uh, and yet yeah, very famous, uh, I guess one of the most famous kind of pre-Hispanish, pre-Columbian sporting traditions, which for a long time was, was kind of forgotten about, but it's definitely undergoing a resurgence at this end of things. Yeah, it's, it sounds a bit like those uh, sort of village football games that they have, you know, in in, uh, in rural areas in the UK where, you know, lower lower Snodbury plays uh, upper Snodbury and they try and get the ball over the river. That's one of those sort of games. And it's a similar sort of tradition, isn't it? As, as you say, it's a substitute for war. Although people say that anyway about sport, you know, sport is, you know, war without the guns um, in, in many ways. Um, John, thanks ever so much. Uh, for uh, brings up to date with everything and um, we'll talk to you again next week if that's okay with you yep take care Martin good man good man uh, there we go John Bonfilio our man in uh, Mexico um, thank you for all your uh, 